0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September twenty second, two 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm your host today on MPB Think Radio. I'm in the studio with Kevin Farrell, our producer, our guru, our spiritual advisor, and the man with somewhat orange shoes. What? Reddish orange shoes today. He always cheers, he always brightens the studio with his eclectic footwear. So glad to have you, Kevin. Our guest today is Dr. Edgar Smith. Dr. Smith and I um, have known each other for many years, we have served together on the Mississippi Blues Commission. Dr. Smith also has served uh, for a long time on the uh, at the B.B. King Museum, and he'll tell us a little bit about that. He is currently a trustee emeritus at Tougaloo College, and he hails from Hollandale, Mississippi. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you, man. Well, it's good to have you, and uh, it was just a week or so ago, you were honored by the Mississippi Senate. Uh, John, Senator John Horn pulled a good one on you. Oh, yes, he
1: did. Yes, he did. He tricked me, man. He, tri- <laughs> he told me nothing about it. The- everybody knew what was going on except Edgar Smith. <laughs> everybody knew. I was in a room with people, and I was talking, and you, everybody was very quiet about mm-hmm. it, and I was raising questions, and people were looking funny, but I had no idea why. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they called my name to go into the Senate, and I saw all these people that I knew that I had been involved with, with the blues and so forth. And uh, John Horn walked up to the podium and said, I tricked him.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he did. But I, I enjoyed that, and I was very happy to have that recognition, although I don't do this for recognition. Of course not. It's, it's for the uh, fund itself. Yeah. And I'm very happy to get any kind of publicity for that fund that we can get. So, like the son says, you want to use me? Bill Withers says, use me, use me up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about the Mississippi Blues Commission and Blues Foundation's Benevolence Fund, which Dr. Smith oversees and was a founder of. And, I, again, I had the great pleasure to be in the room in the early days as a member of the Blues Commission uh, board of Commissioners uh, to, to help kick off this idea. But, man, you took it to another level. Let's go ahead and just talk briefly about the Benevolence Fund, and then we'll hit it again at the end of the of, of the show.
1: Okay, well, the Benevolence Fund actually derived out of a concern about a number of people. I wasn't the only one on the commission who was concerned about what was happening to the blues people themselves. We were talking a lot about the music and reconnecting with the music and making sure that the music survived. But there were some people from whom whom this music derived that were not being served properly in terms of being taken care of. They did not have the foundation on which to build and to live if they were not working. Well, they're getting older, they can't work, they didn't have uh, health insurance and so forth, but they had all kinds of uh, bills. And so uh, some of us were concerned and we said, well, let's think about what, what can we do, what can we do for that. And so the commission discussed it and uh, said, let's start a benevolent committee. And I agreed to chair that committee. And from that point, we didn't have any money at that time. We know what we wanted to do, but we didn't have any money with which to work. And uh, one of our members, Luther Brown, Dr. Luther Brown, who was up yep. at Delta, Delta Station, State. Luther?
0: The Delta Center. Yeah, yes, that's it. it. My band, my friend.
1: And a great guy. He and some others thought about selling car tags as mm-hmm. a way of making some money uh, right away. And so that, that's how we got the first monies for for the Blues Fund.
0: And let's talk about the car tag because I drive one and I'm sure you do too.
1: Yeah, uh, yes, I do.
0: So if you're interested in supporting the work of the Blues Commission and specifically the Benevolence Fund, you can purchase a, a vanity car plate with right, the Mississippi right, Blues right, Commission right, on right. it, and you can tell them how easy that is.
1: Yeah, that's done. You just go down to the registry and tell them that you want a, a vanity tag and, t- and and be specific as to what it is. And a part of a portion of that money goes to the Mississippi Blues Foundation. Actually, the fund started with the commission, mm-hmm. but a foundation was formed by the commission as a fundraising arm. Right. and so we moved the benevolent fund into the foundation so money's come into the foundation for the benevolent fund money uh, that we get from the car tag and and, and other actually once we started the, the the fund we realized that we really need to get other sources of funding right so I began to go around and spread the word and people began to send money into the through the fun and I was in a very fortunate position one evening at being at the home of a very wealthy uh, couple in Jackson. and I, at that time I was no, I was no longer on the the BB the, uh, King Museum right. board, but this was a, a Christmas party for current and former members of the board right and they she was introducing the members of the board and she said dr Smith when I, when I introduce you, I want you to talk about your benevolent fund. I said, no, I'm not going to talk about the benevolent fund." She said, talk about the benevolent fund." I said, no, I don't want to talk about the benevolent fund. This is a party. So when she introduced me, she said, Dr. Smith's going to talk about the benevolent fund." <laughs> I said, okay, you throw by a rabbit in the bribe patch." <laughs> so I began to talk, because you know, I feel very passionate about it. I don't have any trouble talking about it. I just thought it was a party. Was right, fun. right. I didn't want to be begging. And so, but I laid it out as clearly as I could as to why the need was there, what the need was, and so forth. When I finished my spiel, the uh, gentleman of the house walked up to me very nonchalantly and said, Dr. Smith, I'm going to give you $100,000. <laughs> I said, that'll work. <laughs> and I wanted to climb the walls, <laughs> walk into a jail, but I was cool. Uh, I, was I was there. I watched you. you were right you were there. smooth. <laughs> And so that has been a large part. But we raised money from other funds. We, The Blues Marathon, mm-hmm. uh, up until this year, we were getting a, a nice sum like $10,000 $10, right, right. from the Blues Fund, but the change management and things didn't work out. I also was able to approached uh, Dan Aykroyd. He yeah, gave right. $10,000. I got to know his daughter very well. Now, that's well.
0: when he was here shooting a movie that he you was connected He was shooting to Get On Up. To Get On Up. Yeah, the, 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 the James, James Brown film. movie. Right, right. But you see, he also— He was playing James' manager, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but see, he also has a vodka. Yes. So he was here promoting his vodka. That's right. He sure As was. well as doing— the, So when I realized he was going to be out at this liquor store, mm-hmm. I said, the, hmm— so I, I called liquor store. As fate would have it, the guy who owns the liquor store was a blues fan. He was a motorcyclist. He has a group of motorcyclists, and they go around to the various blues markers. And so he was Great. very receptive to my wanting to get to to uh, Ackroyd. But he said, you know, there's going to be so many people out here, I don't think you'd be able to get to him. I said, well, if I were to write a, a note for him, would he respond? He said, well, you can try. So I wrote a letter. Took it out to the uh, liquor store, left it there. That was on a Friday. I didn't hear anything. On Wednesday, I get a call from Dan Aykroyd's daughter, Danielle. Want to have lunch. Long story short, she became very interested. As it turns out, we had a mutual friend at, at Harvard. I used, I was One time I was up at Harvard. Well, we had a mutual friend there. It was a professor. And, and uh, she was very excited about that. I didn't hear anything from them for several months. And in uh, October of that year, I received a handwritten note from Dan Aykroyd with a check for (laughs) $10,000. And so money has been coming in like that. I've been calling on my various friends, relatives, and so forth. And we've done very well. We've done very well. We've given out 86 grants for a
0: total of over $92,000. And and we— we give money for burial expense, for hospital cost, for hearing aids, for having vans refitted for wheelchairs. I'm just trying to think back over the history of the thing, sure. of all and, the different,
1: and even even a mortgage payments. Right, right I can right, say right. this now because she's no longer with us. But uh, the the um, the famous blues artist, I think... Kim Hill. Huh? Jesse May? No, not Jesse May. No? Uh, from up... From, Denise Bel- LaSalle. Denise LaSalle. Right. Denise was about to lose her home. I remember that now. And we were able to uh, uh, pay some mortgage, her mortgage, because both she and her husband were ill.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we helped her out, and she called me a week before she passed away. And we have put together a nice brochure on the Menevolent Fund, and in that brochure... We include thank-you notes from people, like, but we uh, redact the names, of course, mm-hmm. okay, of people to indicate that we are indeed we are indeed making a difference. And I want to say that I'm working with an, a, a fantastic committee. Uh, I'm getting a lot of play and a lot of publicity and so forth at LEADER, but I've had one fantastic group of individuals who are equally committed, so much so that once we get an application and we vet it, We can turn it around in two days so we can get the money to the individual as soon as possible. So I want want to give a shout-out to the Benevolent Committee, actually, for what they do.
0: Great. And if people want to get involved, would like to make a donation, what's the easiest, best way?
1: The easiest way to do that would be to, uh, well, actually send me a check. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's Dr. Edgar E. Smith. Five nine three four Paddock Place, Jackson, Mississippi three nine two zero six. Make the check out to the Mississippi Foundation Blues Foundation, Mississippi Blues Mississippi Foundation, Mississippi Blues Foundation, with a notation that is for the benevolent fund. But you can also go to the website, mm-hmm. which is msbluestrail.org, and click on Donate. Gotcha. And it will show you how to donate not only to the Blues, but you can make me donate to the Blues Foundation because it has a, a, an additional fund, additional fund, which it uses for other other matters, such as the uh, Blues Trail markers and things of that nature. But it also shows you how you can donate to the Benevolent Fund because there's a PayPal option. Right. So those are the two ways. Right.
0: And we can repeat that and maybe get that sure, information to, out a little yeah. bit more. Uh, so let's go to Hollandale. Let's go all the way back. <laughs> How'd you get interested in this in this music and this well, work? Well,
1: actually, I'm glad you mentioned Hollandale because that's where it all began. That's where it all began for me. I had the pleasure, I use that word advisedly, <laughs> of growing up uh, across the road. Notice I didn't say street now. Right, right. Because it was a dirt road.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: from the largest single juke joint in the town of Hollandale, It was called the Harlem Club. Okay. And a block up from the Harlem Club, there was a line of juke joints called Blue Front. Now, it's not the Blue Front Cafe that's in Bentonia. That's right. different.
0: But back then they
1: called back a then, lot of them ca- Blue Front. They called co- it the Blue Front, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was a line of joints. There was a ca- the cafe there, some joints, pool halls, Cetera, in cetera, in that one block. Right. Okay. So this is how I got to know the music. A common phrase that I use, people have heard me say, and it's, it's for real, is that the blues rocked me to sleep every Saturday night. There you go. There you go. And that's for real, because people, I lived sort of on the edge of the town. hmm And uh, on Saturday, folk would come in from the plantations into town, to let their hair down, to have have fun, because they've worked hard, very mm-hmm. hard, under very difficult conditions all week, and there's a lot of emotional stuff built up, and so they got to they got to have a steam valve. Mm-hmm. So that steam valve becomes the music. Okay. And that's how they come and the it. That's York where you cell. started. That's how I started.
0: Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. I'm also I have the honor of serving as the executive director of your Mississippi Arts Commission and as one of the responsibilities of serving in that capacity. I also have a seat on the Mississippi Blues Commission board where I serve with my guest today, Dr. Edgar Smith. Welcome back, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we were just sort of touching on Hollandale where you grew up, talking about... Uh, the early uh, exposure to the blues and to the culture of the Mississippi Delta, which, of course, birthed America's music. Uh, but but as well as serving on the Blues Commission, you are chair of the Benevolence Committee, which we spoke about in the first segment. You've also uh, served honorably and Uh, for a while uh, at the B.B. King Museum, and you're also a trustee emeritus at Tougaloo College. So uh, let's go back to Hollandale and and let's play it forward. So you you grew up there next door or across the street from juke joints hearing this music.
1: Right, right. And what what impressed me was the people uh, as well as the music. Uh, because it was interesting that they these were people who were having a good time, but they also were good people, because I was living with my grandmother and my great-grandmother at the time, mm-hmm. and I said I was across the street from this joke joint, but they saw what my grandmother was trying to do with me in terms of raising me, and we didn't use the term rearing, right. <laughs> raising me, and... They, in spite of the life that they lived, they would ensure as best they could that I was not turned on by that life. Mm -hmm. You understand? That I was not turned on by that life. If ever I were to be in an awkward kind of position where I was not supposed to be vis-a-vis that Duke joint, they would straighten me out. (laughs) They would. And they would straighten me out. And all they had to say was, I'm going to tell Miss Ella. And that was it. And Miss Ella didn't play, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that was good. so. I didn't appreciate that then, of course, because I wanted to have some fun, sure. all right, like everybody else. But as I grew, I saw what they were trying to do, and in my later life, I began to appreciate that even more. And so much of what I do right now, Malcolm, is an effort to sort of repay. Those people who helped take care of me and helped keep me on the straight and narrow, and in on, on the only way that they could, they saw something in me. It was too late for them. Hmm. But that was when the community, the, the village, sort of really raised the child. Right. They really did. Because they were not in the position themselves to have the kind of education opportunity which they saw in me in terms of the potential. They nourished that. The school, we had... uh, When I started the school in Hollandale, it was called the Hollandale Color Training School. And we didn't go a full year because we had to stay out to pick the cotton. That was for four split sessions. We started school in November. Kids had started school in September. We started school in November until all the cotton was picked and so forth. So we really did seven months of school for a long time until... They later developed a split session. I wasn't there then, right. which allowed you to have the total amount of of uh, days in school that you should have. But um, it was still wasn't straight through. Correct. Okay. But we had fantastic teachers. Many of whom were graduates of Tulu College. I'm going to give a little plug for Tulu in here. But we had fantastic teachers who convinced us that we were capable of learning. Even though we had to use, we had the used textbooks Mm -hmm. that came from the white schools. We had, because I could see the names of the kids in there and the books were raggedy sometimes, okay? But those teachers convinced us that we could learn whatever they had to teach at that time. And so I spent the first seven years of my uh, schooling in Hollandale. But then my family uh, moved to Vicksburg,
0: and to the that's big where,
1: city. I went to the big city there. <laughs> I went from the flat del- uh, uh, Delta right to the hills. That's right. Of Vicksburg, and man, that was quite an adjustment. Let me tell you, okay. I hadn't the, the highest I had been was the two steps to my front porch <laughs> <laughs> in in Hollandale. Really, here yeah. all of, all of a sudden, I got to climb these hills. I got to walk oh, these yeah. hills. I got to look down these hills. I'm not going to fall. I got to take my bike and try to ride. No mm. way, but there were also some excellent teachers in Vicksburg.
0: And what school uh, did you attend there?
1: I initially I attended what it was called Cherry Street School,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it became McIntyre. And guess who else attended that
0: school? Oh, uh, Willie Dixon. I was going to say <laughs> Willie Dixon, the great Willie Dixon. The Willie Dixon. Uh, so you. No, well, not at the same no, time. No, no, or no, reason. no, no. a lot older than He's you. a lot
1: older than I, uh, but he attended that school, and that was the 8th grade. He went to the 8th grade, and from there I transferred to Bowman High, uh, which no longer exists. Now, I was graduated from Bowman High. Was it
0: an all-black high school? or had Oh, yeah. I'm in the 50s now. Long before, now. yeah, yeah, I'm in, way before I'm in the 50s, yeah.
1: okay, so before integration. And uh, I had to pass the white school to go to Bowman High. Car Central it was. Now it's Central High, I think, in in, in Vicksburg. Uh But, yeah, I walked past Car Central. My my mother worked there in the the cafeteria at Car Central. Um, But I was graduated from Bowman High in 1951. And then I came to Tougaloo. That's that's where, uh, in 19... uh, you see, I was at 51, uh, 52, you know, to, to I graduated in 55. All right. What did you but, study? Uh, uh, I was a chemistry major.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Chemistry uh, major, uh, biology, minor, biology and math minor. And in those days, if you were interested in science, even so, you, you, were, you were guided toward one of the health careers, you know, either mm. medicine, dentistry, so forth. Right. <clears throat> but I really was interested I had met, so I said, Dr. St. Elmo Brady, the first African-American to get a, a, a PhD in chemistry. And I saw him, how excited he was in the laboratory discovering things. Uh. And I had discovered he was teaching organic chemistry. And this uh, uh, just overwhelmed me. And so I decided I wanted to be a research scientist. I really did. And on the back of our chemistry book, there was something called biochemistry, because I was interested in biology and chemistry. Here's something that combines the two.
0: Mm.
1: I said, fantastic. So let's try that. And my parents had moved to Indiana. Oh, okay. So I was now a resident of Indiana, not Mississippi. So I looked through the various uh, university catalogs, and that was Purdue. So I applied to Purdue. And they accepted me. They had done it before. I was the first Amer- African American. then they is this graduate school? In graduate school. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to get my doctorate there. But let's back up a minute. Okay. okay There's something very important. And my uh, junior year, there was a young lady transferred from Lamont College who was from Oxford, Mississippi. Her name was Inez O'Ree Wiley. Uh-huh. And when she walked on the campus, and she was at Tougaloo. At Tougaloo. Mm-hmm. I saw her walking across the campus, and I looked at my friend, and I said, "Man, what is that?" <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna kill me for saying it. <laughs> but long story short, through the struggle, she was a beautiful lady, both inside and out, and she still is. You know, that's what attracted me, and uh, and attracted a lot of a lot, lot of other guys too. You had some competition, oh, did you, Doc? Oh yes. And but uh, I won out. Uh-huh. And so we were married 3 days before we graduated. to May 27, 1955. And this this May we will celebrate our 64th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. So and so not only did I have that was I fortunate enough to to strike gold at Tougaloo, but I had someone to go with me to graduate school. That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. It means I could focus on my studies, you see, because I didn't have any outside <laughs> distractions. I could focus on the lab and so on. And so we we raised four sons, and we have three. In and Indiana. We, we actually, we, we had two in Indiana. Uh-huh. We had two before we graduated. I so said we were, because that's you, her degree as well as mine.
0: You stayed at Purdue until you got a Ph.D., Yeah, I got
1: my Ph.D. I got a master's and a Ph.D. at Purdue. Then where were you off to? Then I went off to Boston. A friend mm-hmm. of my professor knew somebody at Harvard, and they wanted someone to do a postdoc, and so he contacted this person. Fortunately enough, he accepted me, and I went. My laboratory was at Beth Israel Hospital, but this person was doing cancer research, mm-hmm. and I was very much interested in the cancer problem because to me that's been a challenge. And so I went there to do uh, cancer research, stayed there for a while, and then went to Boston University School of Medicine where I was doing research, and I was an assistant dean, professor of biochemistry. And from there to the University of Massachusetts Medical School where I was uh, associate dean, faculty of became provost of the, of the system. And the president of the University of Massachusetts System spotted me and decided he wanted me to be vice president of the University of Massachusetts System. So I left the medical school and became uh, vice president of the University of Massachusetts System, academic vice president. had three campuses then, wow. Amherst, Worcester, and Boston. Amherst was the large campus. It, it, it considered itself the main campus. The medical school was in Worcester, and the urban campus was in Boston. So we had three. There are now five uh, campuses of the university. And you served there until you retired? Well, I retired. That's my first retirement. <laughs> <laughs> it took me four times to get it right. Okay, okay. Well, we got plenty of time. Now. <laughs> I tried to retire, but I became. I was on. I was appointed to the board of a of a of a uh, an organization known as Nellie May, the New England Loan Marketing uh, mm-hmm. Company, which markets student loans. I was on their board, and they wanted to develop a fund, and so they asked me if I would come to the company and developed the Nellie Mae Fund for Education. So I left the board, became came out of retirement, and, uh, be, and, and set up the Nellie Mae Fund for Education, which I'm happy to say morphed into the Nellie Mae Foundation. They went from being a loan marketing company now to a foundation mm. that funds mm. educational opportunities. So I left there. However, at that time, Tougaloo needed the president, an interim president.
0: <laughs> uh, back to Jackson. <laughs> back to Jackson. Well,
1: I wanted to come. Well, I wanted to come back briefly to see if we really wanted to come back to, to Jackson. Right. So this was in '95. So I came back that year to be interim president of Tougaloo. and we decided, hey, you know, that was. But we went back to Massachusetts. Oh, okay. We went back to Massachusetts.
0: How long did you serve as interim president? Just a year. Just one year. Yeah, okay. just
1: one year because we wanted. I didn't want the, the for full time.
0: Mm-hmm. I had
1: been retired, and I I didn't want to come out come out of retirement, <laughs> but I wanted to serve my alma mater. Inez and I wanted to serve our alma mater, and so we well, came. That's back. where you met. That's where I mean, that's that's so important to us. Uh huh. And so we did that, and went back to Massachusetts. Then I thought I was done for good, then my friend Aaron Shirley says, you know, we want to set up a system of area health education centers in Mississippi, the purpose of which was to try to deal with the medical underserved people in the state of Mississippi. And, and what an AHEC does, it provides training in those areas for physicians or for, for other medical people to uh, encourage them to stay in Mississippi.
0: And then you finally retired.
1: Yes. <laughs> for, for the time in terms of making money. <laughs> but in terms of time. And then
0: you really got focused. Then I really got, got busy, man. on uh, then working in the community. Absolutely. Welcome back to the final segment of today's Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Edgar Smith. Welcome back, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have uh, got you raised up in Hollandale, and we've gotten you off to Boston and Massachusetts, and you've served quite a career, and now we got you retired. But during the time that you were uh, in Massachusetts, and, and also beyond that, I was been meaning to ask you this, where was the music in your life after the Juke joint, after growing up, when you went off to Tougaloo College, and then you went off to... Um, to college in Indiana to Purdue. And then you ended up in Massachusetts. Where was this music uh, in your life? And I know one place that it was, was when you did some guest DJing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've always had, a, have always been a frustrated musician. Really. I never got a chance to do the music. Like I really wanted to do it. So I listened to it and promoted it as much as I could. And, uh, I have an interest. My even though my focus now is on the blues, it has always been. But my interest is broad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a huge collection of of blues of, of of music, of all kind. Matter of fact, one of my favorite albums is an, an Irish tennis. Uh And one of the songs I used to sing was Galway Bay. All
0: right. Well, after yeah. you get you on stage <laughs> at the St. Patrick's Parade next year. <laughs> Well, I've sung it. Okay, well, I'm not going to forget. <laughs> I have sung it. As a matter of fact, I uh, uh, uh,
1: sang it for a friend of mine, Dr. Lester Phillips. But in, in any event, so I was listening to music, um, and that was as close as I could get, or, or going to various clubs or concerts and things mm-hmm. of that nature, but not really participating. Until one Saturday morning, I was listening to a blues show that came out of MIT, and this young man, I was listening to it every Saturday, but this young man decided he wanted to play the Hollandale Blues. <laughs> okay, you know, by um, um, his name is Sam Chapman. Oh yeah. By the Hollandale Blues by Sam Chapman, and I said, Wow, I'm from Hollandale. So I decided after the show I would catch up with him, and I called him. You know, and we began talking and so forth. He realized my interest in the blues, and so he said, "How would you like to come over, Doc Smith and uh, DJ?" To- I said, "You kidding?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, come on over." I said, "Okay, I'll do it." I came over the following Saturday, and he sat me down. But he didn't know that I brought my own playlist. <laughs> In my own records, he was going to tell me what he was going to play. But I had trouble plays, and from that point on, he said, well, you're a DJ. <laughs> and so, actually, what? now, let me back it up a little bit, you know. At my age, things slip through the, the memory <laughs> bank. Um I made a donation to the... Okay. To the, and if you make a certain donation, here's what it was. You make a certain donation... I think it was 88.1 was the number of the right. station. You make 88 dollars, unless you can be a DJ. That's how oh, I okay. got there. So, you, what, you so made a yeah, I made 88 dollars because I wanted to to, uh, to to really encourage the program. Right. I really, really wasn't interested in doing a DJ, but I liked the fact that he was playing the blues, and it was one of the best blues shows because he was playing what I call the classical blues, mm-hmm. the blues that I grew up with and that I knew. But he said, well, you then he told me to come over. Why don't you come on over and follow up? Because I was going to do it. And so we developed a relationship. And over the years, I would come, come, come into MIT. His uh, studio was in the basement of one of the buildings there. And we would play blues for an hour. And he complimented me. At that time, my voice was a little different than it is now. Uh-huh. He said, I sure wish I had a voice like that, man. I really would like blah, 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 blah. And what happened, I recorded. In those days, You could rec- we had a, a radio uh, tape combination thing. And I recorded all of those sessions. And so I have tapes wow. on my DJ at MIT. And those are really valuable to me. And I have uh, threatened to convert them to CDs, but I have not. I've got the little gadget mm-hmm. that allows me to do that.
0: They were the the big cassette style, I yeah. mean, the 8-track No, type. not
1: 8-track. No, there was little cassettes. Oh, little cassettes. Okay. They were cassettes. They weren't 8-tracks. They, they, they were little cassettes. And you could get the show on, you, you'd have to flip it over in order to get the whole show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to change the <laughs> size. Yeah. But uh I have a, co- a collection of those and uh I really got to know this guy very well and he was also quite a
0: photographer. Oh.
1: And I've got a great picture that he made of San Thomas.
0: Up which, in Massachusetts, when he visited Massachusetts. Yes, Sorry. right. Yeah. I don't know I don't know where he got it from. Oh, I see. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but uh Inez gave it to me for one of my birthdays and uh um he's he's gone back to his home home I think he's in Iowa. But that was my first Direct involvement, you know, in in really getting close to the music other than listening to it. And I really, really enjoyed that.
0: Did you have much opportunity to meet the older blues players? Were you able to connect to many of them in your lifetime?
1: Well, uh, the the one that I connected with indirectly was Guitar Slim. Mm -hmm. And actually, I used Guitar Slim, the thing I used to do, as my theme song for my show at MIT. Because, you see, uh, Guitar Slim, although he came from, I think he came from Greenwood, but he moved down to Hollandale. Oh, okay. And he made a name for himself in locally at that club across the street from my— The Harlem Club. The Harlem Club. Oh, okay. Matter of fact, one of—I should have brought that album. His album, one of his albums, has on the, the liner notes that he was playing in Hollandale, Mississippi at the Harlem Club. Oh, Okay. And my uh, cousin uh, picked cotton with him because you see, doing he, he would pick cotton when he wasn't doing that. And when we put the blues marker up in Hollandale on the railroad track right. there, mm-hmm. and it has Guitar Slim on it, it, has my cousin's name on it. and The fact that she was, knew him, she knew him quite well. And I have also I, I have a tape of someone interviewing people in Hollandale who knew Guitar Slim and they talked about the fact that he would wear these yellow suits, red suits, yellow shoes, you know, red shoes. He would play. He would take this, uh, he would have his long cord on his guitar, and he would go across the rafters <laughs> and come down on the outside and play. And one time, the guy said he slipped in the mud. It was raining. He slipped in the mud. He just kept on playing. <laughs> But so, but I knew there was a guy around Hollandale called Slim, but at that time I didn't know there was the famous guitar Slim
0: because
1: mm. he left Hollandale and went down to New Orleans. That's when he recorded the things I used to do. You know, I wow. became his big hit.
0: Sure, sure. So
1: that was the one person that I, I really that I knew about. And of course, later on, I got to know BB uh, uh, King, and uh, in Vicksburg. I didn't. These are not blues people, but I knew the Red Tops quite well.
0: Sure, they were very famous.
1: Well, they were. They were actually Doc Raymond and the Rebops first. Oh, okay. And Doc's brother was one of my classmates, and my and my cousin played uh, alto saxophone with the Rebops. And they morphed into the Red Tops with their red. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got I got to know them. I knew them quite well. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the artists that I might might have known. Those are the ones that come to come All to right. mind. Uh, of course, I've learned, I've I've met a lot since I've been here in Jackson.
0: So, besides working on the <laughs> blues commission and the benevolence piece, what do you what do you do these days? What do you fill your days with besides being on the radio with me? Oh. <laughs> you know, Malcolm, I don't seem to have any
1: trouble filling, <laughs> filling my days. <laughs> You know, I really don't, man. I really don't. There's so much going what on. What are your hobbies? Well, I like to. I, I I used to be a tennis player. Oh, really? But I haven't played much tennis. And at age 75, I I, I skied Buttermilk Mountain in in Aspen, Colorado, at minus 16 degrees, and I hung up my skis. <laughs> Having said, achieved that, I, that's it. No more. <laughs> But when I was in Massachusetts, I was skiing. I, I play. I played tennis three or four times a uh, a week mm-hmm. right now. And so right now, um, I'm, I do my own yard work. For instance, yeah. I like I like I love, being outside.
0: Me too. I See, love digging in the dirt and yeah,
1: trimming and cutting and things that like that stuff, and doing yeah. messing around outside. I do that. And of course, I don't, I don't have any problem. Working in the house, you know, mm-hmm. if it means if vacuuming, mopping, et cetera, helping our neighbors around the house. Good for you. So I have, I don't have any trouble. And I also serve <laughs> as the senior advisor to the president of Tulu.
0: There you go. Uh, Having uh, but, been the interim <laughs> president and a graduate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I serve as uh,
1: President Hogan's senior advisor. And every year she doubles my the zero of my salary, <laughs> so I get I get twice as big. So now you got a new president, Tougaloo. Yes, we do, Dr. Carmen Walters. Yep, she'll be coming in July 1st. Yeah, I, we're very very excited about that, and uh, I'm very pleased with the decision. I'm going to support her as much as I can. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be a senior advisor because I'm getting tired. <laughs> But I'm gonna support her, and because that's she's supporting the college.
0: Speak a little bit about Tougaloo and its role uh, in our community and across the state and across the country. Quite well, frankly,
1: well, Tougaloo, <clears throat> excuse me, Tugaloo I think epitomizes that saying that. We, the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We've done so much with so little for so long, we're not qualified to do everything with nothing.
0: <laughs> that sums it up. Huh?
1: That sums it up. <laughs> that sums it up because that little institution has done so much for so long for so many of us. Not so that it has had an impact throughout the state, yes. throughout the nation, and throughout the world. And it continues to, to carry out that charge, that challenge.
0: It has a remarkable art collection. <laughs> oh, I know this because does. of my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a world-renowned art collection that now has a home. It now in, has in a, a Benny Thompson yeah. uh, building.
1: We've been concerned about that because you know, we've had to move it around from place to place because we didn't have the right conditions—right, humidity, temperature, et cetera. But now there is an art. What do you, it's not an art. It's an art gallery. gallery. It's a beautiful gallery. gallery. In the in the, in the Benerjee Thompson, uh, Thompson building. And uh-huh. that's one of our one of our graduates, Benedict Thompson. He's right. done so much. Uh, if, if you think about the individuals around who are doing things in the city and in the state, they're graduates of Tougaloo College. And Tougaloo takes these, in many times Tougaloo takes these, uh, these uh, what what we call these uh, rough stones mm-hmm. and makes them to polish diamonds. That's really what it does. It, makes it also it
0: has a, a well known art colony which we have funded. Oh at the yes, Arts Commission and thank for you years. so much for that. But,
1: uh, That's an integral part of what Tugaloo does. Tugaloo is part of the community, and the community claims Tukulu, and We're very happy that it does, because yeah. that means the relationship is good. At all times you have this. Town gown problem? Correct. We don't have it at Tulu.
0: Right. Well, Dr. Edgar Smith, thank you so much for being my guest today and for all the good work you do and have done throughout your life in in so many areas, and particularly uh, around the Blues, the Mississippi Blues Commission, the Benevolence Committee. And I look forward to seeing you on Monday night, uh, Blues Jam down at Howlin' House with the, with the Central Mississippi Blues Society, which you're also active in.
1: Oh, yes. I, w- I was actually uh, responsible for developing the bylaws for there the Mississippi Blues Society.
0: The man never stops.
1: <laughs> That's a great group of folk down I really enjoyed. Thank you so much. This has been good.
0: We'll see you next time on the Mississippi Arts Hour, brought to you by MPB Think Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.